Well, welcome to Epic. My name is Jake Snowden. I'm one of the executive leads here at Epic. And hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Thank you so much for being here to worship with us today. And if you are joining us from home, thank you so much for worshiping with us wherever you are today. Well, today we are going to be talking about something that everybody in this room and everybody watching online can relate to. We're going to be talking about something that is so common to humanity. So common, it's something that none of us can escape. It's rampant, it's universal, and, and the more you wish you could avoid it, you can't. It's, it's inevitable, you cannot escape it. Picture this, it's kind of like an uninvited guest that barges into your living room, takes the best seat, takes the remote control, makes itself comfortable, and as much as you want that person to leave, they just refuse to leave. They stay there being obnoxious and annoying. That's what we're talking about today. Now also, what we're gonna talk about today It'll pull on you from every direction. It'll wrestle you to the ground. It'll make you feel helpless and weak. Yet the more that it weakens you, the stronger you're going to become. It can make you question the very exist existence of God, yet it can also make you feel closer to God than you've ever felt before. Amos 5.19 describes it this way. He writes, And that way you'll be like a man who runs from a lion only to meet a bear. Escaping from the bear, he leans his hand against a wall in his house, and he's bitten by a snake. That's right. Today, we're going to be talking about the issue of suffering. Now, if you're joining us today for the first time, we are in part three of a series we're calling Googling God. And one of the biggest questions that people have about God is this. Why does God allow suffering? You know, in the, gospel of, uh, in the Gospel of John, Jesus himself tells us that here on earth, he says, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Now, tell me if you've heard this before. If God exists, then why is there so much suffering in the world? Have you guys heard that before? Maybe you've asked that before. Maybe you're asking that very question today. In fact, you could argue that throughout all of history, the most common objection to whether God exists has been the inability to understand how a loving, all-powerful, omniscient God could even allow the existence of evil and suffering in the world. Well, here's the thing. First off, to even acknowledge something as evil, you're making a statement. You're saying that there must be an objective, transcendent, personal being whose will, whose standard for good has been violated, whose perfect order has been disturbed. Genesis 1.31 gives us a reminder of how the world was before it was infected by sin. Genesis 1.31 says, Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. When God created the world, it was good. There was no evil. There was no suffering. But before long, sin entered the world. And when sin entered the world, it opened the door to evil and suffering. And so what did Adam and Eve do? Adam and Eve, they tried to hide from God, right? But God found them, and he explained to them the consequences of their sin. And God said to Eve, he said, that now through, through childbearing, your pain, labor pains will be intensified. And he tells Adam that the ground is now cursed. Plants will now produce thorns and thistles, and that man is going to have to work the ground by the sweat of his brow in order to produce fruits and vegetables. In the Garden of Eden, God's perfect order was disturbed. Evil and suffering had now entered the world. So the question, why do we experience suffering? Well, there's many different reasons. We're going to talk about three briefly this morning. Uh, for one, suffering 
It's the result of our own sinful actions. In the first few chapters of Genesis, we see that in the account of Adam and Eve, the, the direct result of their sin was suffering. Sin brought suffering into the world. And some of the suffering that we endure today is simply that. It's a simple result of our own sins. If you're consistently prideful and selfish, that, that you'll see that that is going to cause your relationships at home and at work to suffer. If you've ever struggled with, with substance abuse, that may cause your body and your mind to suffer, and it can often lead towards suffering in other areas, whether it be, be finances or other relationships as well. So sometimes our suffering is simply a consequence of the poor decisions that we've made. And you know, it seems like most people, they understand that. If I make bad, bad choices, it's gonna lead to potential suffering. And most people can understand that side of suffering. But sometimes suffering is not our fault. Sometimes suffering is not the result of our sinful actions, but it's the, the result of the sinful actions of others toward us. In his book, Raging with Compassion, theologian John Swinton says it like this. He says, much of the evil and suffering that goes on in the world is not natural. It does not have to happen. It exists only because human beings choose that it should. Bad things happen to good people because people behave badly. Much of the evil and suffering of the world is of a moral nature, and human beings are solely responsible for its existence. We're the ones responsible for its existence. I want to look at an example of this kind of evil and suffering. You can find it in the book of Genesis. It's the story of Joseph and his brothers. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 37. We're going to be reading from the NLT version today. And if you don't have a Bible, we have some located at the back of each seating section. Feel free to go up and grab a Bible. And that is our gift to you. Feel free to uh, put bookmarks in it. You can highlight it, make notes in it. Uh, go ahead and grab one. But we're going to be reading from Genesis chapter 37. And this story that we're going to be looking at today... It's the story of Joseph. Now, Joseph, he's the son of Jacob, as in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and Joseph came from a large family. He's one of 13 children. He had 11 brothers and one sister. And out of all of his children, his father, Jacob, decided to show favoritism toward his son, Joseph. You might be familiar with the story of Joseph and the coat of many colors. And this is just one example of how his father showed favoritism toward him rather than his other siblings. And what this did, this caused his brothers to become very, very jealous of him. Now, not only did Jacob show his son Joseph a little bit of special favor by blessing him with some gifts like this, this beautiful robe, but Joseph began to have dreams. And then he began to share these dreams with his brothers. And in some of these dreams, it consisted of his brothers bowing down to him. And so the more they heard about these dreams, the more envious and jealous they became of their brother Joseph. And so what they did is they devised a plot to kill him. In Genesis 37, Jacob sends out Joseph to go and check on his brothers, and they were out pasturing the sheep at Shechem. And when Joseph finds his brothers, he's not welcomed with open arms. So we're going to pick up the story in Genesis 37, 18 to 20. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. What nice brothers, right? Now, for many of you know, I'm, I'm a, from a big family myself. I'm one of 12. We did a lot of mean things to each other. 
But as far as I remember, we never made plans to physically kill one of our siblings. My older sister at one point did say, I'm gonna, she got so mad at me, she said, I'm going to shoot you with my machine gun. She didn't have access to a machine gun. She was just like spouting out here. But these brothers are actually plotting to kill him. Now, was it Joseph's fault that his father showed favor toward him? No, that wasn't his fault. And although it may not have been wise for Joseph to share these dreams that he had about his brothers bowing down to him, that still doesn't give them the right to plot his death, does it? So what they do, they strip Joseph of his beautiful robe, they throw him into a ditch, and just then, as the brothers are sitting down to eat, one of the brothers, Judah, notices a caravan of Ishmaelites approaching. And he says in verse 26 and 27, he says, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. Now, if you're not familiar with the rest of the story, I encourage you to read that sometime this week. Just begin in Genesis chapter 37. Go to the end of the book, Genesis 50. It is a phenomenal story, an amazing story of faithfulness, integrity, endurance, and surprisingly, forgiveness. Now, let me give you a quick snapshot of the rest of the story. So Joseph is sold into slavery. He would go on to become a slave in Potiphar's household. And Potiphar was a very high-ranking official in Egypt. And at one point, Potiphar's wife even tries to seduce Joseph. Joseph does the right thing. He actually flees the scene and gets out of there, but he left his coat behind, and so she takes that coat, and she says that he attempted to rape her. And because of that accusation, Joseph is now thrown into prison where he's forgotten for several years. And one of the most amazing things about this whole story is that through it all, Joseph never loses sight of God and of God's goodness. And in the closing chapter of Genesis, Joseph once again has risen to a position of prominence and he has the opportunity where he can seek justice or revenge upon his brothers. But instead, in Genesis 50 verse 20, and this is one of my favorite verses in all of scripture, Joseph forgives his brothers. Listen to what he says. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. He brought me to this, to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Now, as Joseph was going through all that suffering that he was enduring, the persecution from his brothers plotting to kill him, getting falsely accused of rape, getting thrown into, into a prison and forgotten for years, imagine the questions that you would be asking God. God, why is this happening to me? Why did my brothers try to harm me? Why did they sell me into slavery? Why am I falsely accused? I mean, if I was put into prison or even jail for something I was falsely accused of, I probably would not be very pleasant. I would probably have some conversations with God where I was doing a lot of blaming, a lot of finger pointing at God. I'd probably be saying, God, I've, I've lived a good life. Why am I having to suffer? Why am I having to endure? But Joseph doesn't. He's faithful. He's faithful. And we can learn a lot about Joseph when it comes to suffering that is caused by the sinful actions of others. But what about those times in life where suffering just seems to come out of nowhere? Has anybody ever been hit by one of those? You just can't explain it, and bam, your family, yourself, you just got impacted by something that you can't describe. It just seemed to come out of nowhere. So I want to look at another story in the Old Testament. This is found in the book of Job. And Job was a righteous man. If you have your Bibles, you can flip over to Job chapter 1. And scripture says that Job was blameless. It says he was a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. 
Job was married. Job had seven sons and three daughters. And Job was a wealthy man. And in verse 3, it's going to give an account of his wealth here. It says that he owned 7,000 sheep. He owned 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, considered to be the richest person, the most wealthy person in that area at that time. And then one day, everything is gone. Disaster strikes. Everything that Job had worked for and nearly everyone that Job had loved was gone. Job's pastures are raided by enemies. They steal every last donkey and oxen. A fire breaks out and burns up all his sheep and his servants in the field. And then more enemies attack, and they steal his 3,000 camels. So you could say things are going pretty bad for Job, right? And just when you think it couldn't get any worse, look at what happens in Job chapter 1, 18 to 22. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and daughters were feasting in their oldest brother's home. Suddenly, a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides. The house collapsed, and all your children are dead. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. Verse 20, Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head. And get this, it says he fell to the ground to worship. He fell to the ground to worship. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Now, can you imagine losing all your children at the same moment? As a parent, I can't even imagine the agony of losing one of our children. There would definitely be some difficult conversations with God for sure. I, I, I'm sure that I would even doubt if God cared for me, if God, if God loved me. I'm sure I would begin to even question if there's a God at all. That's, that's a pain that I can't imagine any parent going through. You know, several years ago, right around this time of the year, just before the holidays, back in 2017, there was this two-year-old boy named Jackson. And all of a sudden, Jackson got really ill. His body got infected by the virus E. coli, and it started to have an impact upon his kidneys. And his parents began to question, they began to pray, they began to cry out to God for weeks and weeks and then it would seem like they'd get some good news, and then they'd have to get rushed right back for an emergency surgery. And there's this one point where they're having to, to do the surgery, and they don't even have enough time to induce any kind of anesthesia on this two-year-old boy. I can only imagine the pain that the parents are feeling knowing they're on the brink of losing their son. I can't imagine the, the prayers that were cried out to God in their deepest, darkest moments, wondering why a God, if a God loves them and has the power to heal, has not healed their son who's suffering. Crying out, God, where are you in this moment? We need you. Why can't you heal our son? Please heal our son. And people all across the U.S. start praying and sending him prayers and support for their son, but still... God is quiet. Nothing is happening. So Job had lost all his wealth, all his children. 
But the pain and agony doesn't end there. Job's body begins to break out with boils all over his body. And the only way that he can even get a moment of relief is he takes a piece of broken pottery and begins to scrape the boils off of his arms. And his wife looks up to him and she says, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? You know, my wife and I, we've been in ministry for 25 plus years. We've never experienced any kind of suffering that Job has gone through or even Joseph. But we've had moments in our lives. My wife has never said to me, curse God and die. But when you're in ministry, sometimes it feels like, sometimes it feels like you're under attack from the enemy because he knows that you're trying to get people into heaven. He doesn't like that. So sometimes it feels like you're under attack. And though my wife has never looked at me and said, curse God and die, she has said, you know, maybe we should consider something other than ministry because we're just under attack so much. And that's something we've had to wrestle with. And so here, here she says to him, why don't you just curse God and die? But Job replies, I can't believe this response. He says, you talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? Now, when you hear these stories about Joseph or Job, you might think to yourself, wow, I've, I've never had it that bad. I should be grateful. And, and you might also find hope in there. You can say, if they can remain faithful to God in the midst of their suffering, then that gives me hope and encouragement that I too can remain faithful in my suffering. But for others of you in here today, when you hear those stories about how the sinful actions of others have affected people like Joseph, it brings up memories of how you've been mistreated by the sinful actions of others. I have no doubt that there are people in here this morning. I have no doubt that there are people who are watching uh, from home online right now. I have no doubt that there are people who have suffered physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse from the sinful actions of others that were forced upon you. You see, we live in a world today where evil abounds. And let me tell you, wherever evil abounds, injustice is right around the corner. Our world has seen the suffering of the innocent on a cataclysmic level. Genocide, slavery, forced labor, child abuse, spousal abuse, sex trafficking, discrimination, gun violence, mass shootings and bombings, and the list goes on and on and on. And so in the midst of this world that we live in, you can't help but ask the question, where is God in all of this? Why does God allow so much suffering in our world. Dave Matthews, who's a well-known musician and songwriter over the past 25 to 30 years, he was once quoted in a magazine as he was struggling to make sense of the cruel world in which we live. And he said, if there is a God, a caring God, then we have to figure he's done an extraordinary job of making a very cruel world. There's no doubt we do live in a cruel world. And the reason we live in a cruel world is because we live in a broken world. But we live in a broken world, get this. We live in a broken world because of love. We live in a broken world because God loved us so much that he didn't create us to be robots. He gave us the gift of free will. He allowed us to make choices on our own. See, if God made us to be robots and we all loved him and worshiped him, 
Would that really bring joy to God? Because we're programmed to love him? No. But he gave us the gift to choose to love him. He gave us the gift so we can choose to do good to others. But with that, we can also choose to do harm to others as well. See, God desires for people to love him, but he wants us to truly love him voluntarily. We have the freedom to choose to love God. We have the freedom to choose to do the things, to do things his way or to do things our way. You know, 6,000 years ago, Adam and Eve, they made the choice to do things their way. And time and time again, humanity makes that same decision every single day to do things that are not in alignment with God's way. Time and time again, we choose to love ourselves. We choose to love our sin instead of loving God and instead of loving those around us. See, when sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, it instantly affected our future. Every baby girl, every baby boy that would ever be born throughout history would now be born into a sinful nature, would be born into a sinful state. Paul writes about this in Romans 5, 12. He says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Not only did sin affect the future of humanity, but as, as we already saw in the Garden of Eden, it, sin affected the created order of the world. Because of sin, there is disorder in the world. Because we live in a broken world, humanity has been forever affected, and evil people will continue to commit evil acts. And because we live in a broken world, not only has humanity been affected, but creation itself has been affected by sin. Paul writes about this in Romans 8, 19 to 23. He says, for all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. Amen. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. The fall of humanity into sin impacted everything, including the world we live in. Everything in creation is subjected to frustration. Everything in creation is subjected to decay. As I was preparing for this message, I, I read a book by author Kate Bowler. She's a three times New York Times bestselling author. She's an award-winning podcast host, and she's a professor at Duke University. And I love the title of this book, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. In this book, she wrestles with all the cliche things that people say when you're going through a difficult time. Now, at the young age of 35, Kate was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer, and she had just become a mother, and she had to face the reality that she would not be around to see her son grow up. As her friends and her neighbors, as they found out the news, they came to offer their condolences. And there was this one particular neighbor who knocked on their door and, and talked to her husband. And, and they came with good intentions, 
They were coming to bring some hope and to let them know that they're caring for them. And they offered up this little nugget of everything happens for a reason. To which the husband replied, really? Because I'd love to hear it. I'd love to hear the reason why my wife is dying. Started out this message today by saying that everybody in here, everybody watching online, one thing we have in common is that we will all face suffering. We can't escape it. It's rampant. It's universal. And as much as you wish to avoid it, it is inevitable. If you haven't gone through it, hang tight. Eventually, you're going to suffer. Eventually, you're going to suffer. The reality is we live in a broken and fallen world, a world that has not yet been released from sin and suffering. But just because this broken and fallen world consists of sin and suffering, it does not mean that we're alone, and it does not mean that we've been forgotten by God. So while we can't escape suffering, I want to leave you with four reasons. I want to give you four reasons why we can have hope in the midst of your suffering. Number one, suffering is universal. Suffering is universal. You are not alone. 1 Peter 5.9 teaches us this. It teaches us to resist the devil and to stand firm. It says, stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. You see, the devil, your enemy, the devil wants you to believe that you're alone in your suffering. That the universe has a target on your back and everybody's out to get you, but that's not true. We all are going to face suffering. In James 5, 10 to 11, James reminds us to have patience in suffering and to remember that the prophets also suffered. He says, for examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end. For the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. Suffering is universal. You are not the only one who's experienced suffering. And you do not have to face it alone. Look at what the psalmist writes in Psalm 23, 4. He says, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. And church, never forget that God is with you. God is with you in the midst of your suffering. He's close beside you. He is your rod. He is your staff. And he will bring you comfort and peace. The second reason we can have hope in the midst of suffering is because suffering is temporary. I know it doesn't make it easier in the moment, but it's good to remember that all suffering is temporary. Just take a moment and think of some of the trials. Think of some of the tribulations, some of the persecutions that you have already come through, that you've already endured. And I'm sure when you were in that time of suffering, you probably had thoughts where you felt like it was never going to end. But for some of you today, maybe it did. Maybe you got through that time of suffering. Suffering is temporary. And and just as you got through that time of suffering, whatever it is you're going through today, there'll be another side. You will get through the suffering. 
Let me tell you, it's not easy. It's not easy to think that way. It's not going to develop overnight. So how? How do you look at those struggles in your life and consider that? You might be in the middle of something right now, but there will be a day when you look back and you'll be able to see how God carried you through this moment. Your suffering will come to an end. It is temporary, so don't lose heart. I want to share this verse in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 17. It says, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. It's number three. We can have hope in the midst of suffering because suffering is the soil in which we grow. Suffering is the soil in which we grow. In her book, Everything Happens for a Reason, Kate Bowler says that the struggles we face today make us stronger for tomorrow. And she goes on to say that adversity is the catalyst for personal growth and transformation. Adversity is the catalyst for personal growth and transformation. And I can tell you, church, that you will learn more about yourself through your failures than you ever will through your successes. You will learn more about yourself and more about your potential through your moments of suffering than through your moments of comfort. James 1, 2 to 4 goes so far to say, consider it joy when you face suffering. He says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. You know, how differently would you view the struggles in your life if you viewed them as God's way of developing you into the mature man into the mature woman that God desires you to be. And number four, we can have hope in the midst of suffering because suffering prepares us for eternity. Suffering prepares us for eternity. As a 35-year-old mother of a young child, Kate Bowler continued to wrestle through her stage four diagnosis of cancer. And she eventually found comfort. She found comfort in her suffering as her frail body would become a constant reminder that this earth was never her home anyway. She's just passing through. This earth was never her permanent home. See, death and sickness and suffering, they're always going to be a part of this life. And why shouldn't they be? The kingdom of God has not come yet, but it's coming. And there will be a day, just like it says in Revelation 21.4, there will be a day where he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be a day where there will be no more death. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more crying. There will be no more pain. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. It says all these things will be gone forever. So whatever suffering you're going through today, let that be a continual reminder that this world is not your permanent home. You're just passing through. Paul writes in Romans 8.18, 
Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. And if you've, lived, if you've given your life to Jesus, then you have that assurance that you have an eternal home in heaven. You have that assurance. God has prepared a place for you. And no matter what suffering you're enduring right now, it will not compare with the glory that he has prepared for you. Suffering prepares us for eternity. Just a few moments, we're gonna have a time of prayer for anybody who's going through a difficult season of suffering right now. But first, I wanna tell you that no matter how difficult your suffering may seem right now, I wanna tell you, I wanna encourage you that your story is not over. Job, who suffered arguably more than any person all throughout history, Job's story didn't end in suffering. In the final chapter of Job, it says that the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former. He was given a double portion of everything that had been taken from him. He went on to have seven more sons and three more daughters. Job went on to live 140 years, and he saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And just like with Job, your story is not over either. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, but God was with him. His story was not over. Joseph was eventually rescued from that pit, rescued from that prison, and he would become second in command in all of Egypt. And then just like Joseph had seen in, those, in his dreams many years before, his brothers during a time of famine would find their way to Egypt and would be before him. And Joseph is confronted before his brothers. He has an opportunity to take revenge upon them. But he says, what you intended for harm, God intended for good. And he forgives his brothers. You may be in the middle of your suffering, but God is with you. You may be in the middle of a tragedy, but God is with you. The waters flooded the earth for, for 150 days, but God remembered Noah. Day after day, Saul searched and hunted down David, but God did not give David into his hands. Psalm 49, they are like sheep and are destined to die, but God will redeem my life from the power of the grave. Psalm 73, 26, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Jesus was crucified. He was beaten, put on a cross. They took his body down. They put it in a grave, but God raised him from the dead. You see, at some point in our lives, we will all experience suffering because we live in a broken and fallen world. So I want, I want to challenge you today. The question shouldn't be, why does God allow suffering? Since we're all going to face it, the question should be, how will you respond in the face of suffering? How will you respond in the midst of suffering? Will you curse God? Will you blame others? Will it cause you to lose your faith? Or will you be faithful? Will you trust God that he can take what the enemy meant for evil and that he can use it for good? How will you respond in your suffering? Hebrews 13 gives us a clear answer of how we should respond. It says, for this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. 
Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God. A continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. You know, the story I shared about the little boy, Jackson, who is airlifted to the hospital, his parents, along with their entire church community, they responded this way. They went to God in prayer. Weeks and weeks, they continued to pray. Even when it seemed like all hope was lost, they continued to pray. And then they began to worship. And in the midst of the worship, a worship song was birthed. And it was, it was sang over, the son, over their son Jackson. And I want to show you a little bit of the story of that song. Check out this clip. The head of the PICU came in and said, we have, to get, we have to get a central line in tonight. They couldn't give him another sedative, so it would be like going in, basically having surgery on a child without any anesthesia. And the doctor took us aside and put us in another room. They took us in a room and explained we had to have this procedure done or we would lose him, but there were so many risks to having the procedure done. I remember the night we got the text that they didn't think he was going to make it through the night. When you got the text, you just collapsed into my arms and just like began to weep. And I could just feel like, like, we're going to lose. Like, we're going to lose Jack's. Like, we're not going to win this one. There's not going to be victory on this battlefield. Those moments, even though they're really hard, something within us rises up that only moments of trauma and intensity can actually call forth. In those moments for us, like the only option is like, we just have to worship. I remember standing at this crossroads and this giant of unbelief standing in front of me. Like it's, it's your prayers don't matter. Um, all these prayers don't matter. Like the Lord's not gonna hear it. This is gonna be like the other moments where you prayed with all your heart and then you buried your friend the next week. And, um, and it, but there was like something inside of me of like, no. And the melody just erupted out of my heart that um, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. He sent me a song and I don't know to what extent, but it said his, their community had prayed for Jackson and in a spontaneous moment, they came up with a song. And so they just you know recorded it and sent it to me. I took that song over my phone and I played over my son over and over again. You know, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah. My weapon is a melody. And that's exactly what I was doing. I was, I was fighting warfare and, and it was, wasn't just me, I wasn't alone. I had people <laughs> literally making weapons, writing songs and sending them to us. It still humbles me and baffles me. The power of global prayer, the power of community, the power of believing together. We walked in to the hospital just before Christmas, and now we're sitting here with a healthy son taking his nap right now. Hey, buddy. Look, we're going home. <laughs> Look, you haven't been outside for a month. So we're going to close a little bit differently today. Let me ask everybody to just bow your head, close your eyes. 
Maybe something in the, the message is speaking you t- to you today. And you're thinking about the current season of suffering that you're going through right now. And maybe you need just a little more prayer. And so if that's you, I want you to just raise your hand and say, Pastor Jake, pray for me. We want to be able to pray for you this week. Raise it nice and high. I see hands going up all across the room. We want to be able to pray for you this week. There is power in prayer. There's power in praise. And as the church family, we want to come alongside and pray with you. We have a wonderful care and counseling network on your way out today. If you need that personal touch, please stop by the prayer tent today and we will pray with you one-on-one. During the week, feel free to stop by our offices. We will drop what we're doing to pray with you. Send us an email. We will pray for you. When we hear a prayer request, when we hear that somebody's going in to an emergency surgery, we have a text thread that goes out amongst our staff and amongst our prayer team, and we start praying for you because there's power in prayer. So one more time, if you need prayer, raise your hands nice and high. Father, you see these hands. Father, there's people who need you to show up in their lives today, Father. There's people who need relief There's people who need that but God moment, God. Remind them that their story is not over. There is victory on the other side. And as we close today in a time of worship, I want to ask you if if you're bold, if you would like your church family to pray over you, go ahead and just stand up right now. We're all going to be standing in just a moment anyway, but go ahead and stand up. I see people standing up all across the room declaring that they need the God of the universe to take note of their suffering. And as I invite the rest of us to stand, if there's someone around you who's standing, feel free to stretch your arm out and pray over them. And you don't need to know what to pray for. The Spirit will begin to speak to you and you can just pray for blessing over their life. So stretch out your hands as a church family as you stand and pray for those people who need that extra touch from God this week. And church, let's let's let this melody be a weapon as we sing today. Amen.